Welcome to episode 130 of the Dangerous History Podcast. This is CJ, your humble hazardous history helmsman and host, busily attempting to tend my little flame down here in this current dark age in which we find ourselves. In this episode, I'm going to talk to you about my 25 favorite anti-war songs. This is something I've been thinking about doing for a long time, but it's been very difficult to figure out how many I should do and then to choose from all of my favorite anti-war songs, but I eventually worked it down to 25 of my absolute favorites. And so this will be episode 130 of the DHP, and if all goes well, I'm recording this on December 19, 2016. If all goes well, I'll be able to get one more episode out prior to the end of 2016, and that episode, I am planning on it being episode one of my giant series on the not-so-civil war. The U.S. not-so-civil war, that is. So look for that to be coming out sometime between now, when I'm recording this, and New Year's Eve. Probably closer to New Year's Eve than to now. But I wanted to get this episode on my favorite anti-war songs out first. Number one, because the Civil War episode is still being hammered away at. It's a big project for me during Christmas break. But also, I think this is important. I'm one of those people, I'm into anything creative. I'm interested in it, even if I'm not a uh, practitioner or a producer of it. But in many creative things, I am at least an amateur, if nothing else. And so I've dabbled in fiction writing. I have been a musician since I was 12. I used to be big into the visual arts. I used to do a lot of drawing and a little bit of painting. Haven't done that seriously in a bunch of years, but I used to really be pretty serious with it. And so I really appreciate any sort of creative endeavor. And I also appreciate the power that human creativity can have to spread messages and share ideas and provoke people to real, true, deep thought and to question things and so on. And so that's why on this show, even though it's a history show, I don't just talk about the basic facts of the past and what happened. I try to get into more depth to really draw deeper meaning from things. And I do frequently talk about things such as films or fictional books and so on. So, this is the spirit in which I present to you my 25 favorite anti-war songs. But before we get to that, I do have some excellent individuals to thank for stepping up to support this show via Patreon. And so, big thanks go out to Aaron and Aaron. Yes, I had two Aarons sign up during the same roughly week since the last episode I made. Two different Aarons, so thank you both. Also, thanks to Collins to EJ, and to Keith. Thank all of you for being excellent individuals and helping me and this show. Thank you very much. And to those of you listening, just a reminder that if you go to Patreon, that's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash P-R-O-F-C-J, and sign up to support this show at a minimum of a dollar per episode or more, that not only will you help this show continue to go and to grow, but you'll also have access to some special bonus episodes there in Patreon, and you will be eligible to join the private Facebook group for Patreon supporters of this show, which is the Dangerous History Podcast Scholar Warriors group. So I hope you'll consider doing that if you're not already a supporter of the show that way. And of course, there are plenty of other ways to help out the show as well. Go to profcj.org slash donate to see some other ways you can help the show financially, including if you're doing any last-minute Christmas shopping or anything like that, and you want to throw a couple nickels my way, go through any of my Amazon links on the website before you go into Amazon, and you'll be able to shop, buy whatever you want, and I'll get a little kickback at no additional cost to you. Now, getting into my song list here. First thing is, musical tastes are obviously to some degree subjective, and my own tastes as far as genres of music are actually pretty darn eclectic. I have a very eclectic uh, iTunes collection of music, and usually I'm able to recognize and appreciate excellence in pretty much any genre of music. Even if it's not a genre that I'm that into personally, I can still recognize and appreciate someone who is really, really good within that convention. 
So just to give you an example, one of the genres of music I'm generally not that big of a fan of is jazz, but I can still appreciate when some jazz musician is just wailing and is just clearly a master of the craft. I can appreciate excellence in that. But as far as the genre of these songs I'm going to be talking about in this episode, well, there's a fair amount of folk and folk rock, as you might expect. There's a fair amount of what you might call um, alt-country, alternative country, or Americana, that sort of genre. I'm a huge fan of that and have been in a big way for about the last, I don't know, eight years or so. I think it's really just what country could have been if it mainstream country, if it hadn't gone down the path of Nashville corporate homogenization and pandering to the dumbest common denominator and all that sort of stuff. Plus, it's country that often has elements of other things I like mixed in, like punk rock and rockabilly and so on. In addition to that, there's a few heavy metal songs on this list, and I am a fan of heavy metal, especially kind of like 70s and 80s heavy metal. There's some what you might call, for lack of a better term, classic rock on here. There's some flat-out punk rock, there's some hybrid stuff that's, you know, folk punk and that sort of thing. So anyway, I think it's a pretty diverse list as far as genres go. There's no rap, there's no jazz, there's no pop. I'm sure there probably are some good anti-war rap songs. As far as jazz and pop, I have no idea. But anyway, this is my list, so while I think it is pretty diverse, it's obviously geared more towards the kind of four or five genres of music that tend to be my favorites. And the order I put these in are, they're kind of organized by group. So I've got a first batch that are kind of overviews of American Wars, a couple of songs. Then I've got a few songs on the American Civil War. Then some on World War I, followed by a few on World War II. A good bunch on the Vietnam War, which is probably what most people think of before any other war when they think of great anti-war music. Then a few songs I would call, for lack of a better term, kind of anti-Cold War slash anti-nuclear war type songs. And then a few songs that are about more recent wars, kind of wars post-Vietnam. And last, a few songs that are just kind of anti-war overall, that are not really, as far as I can tell, tied to any specific conflict. So, starting with a couple of songs that are great overviews of American wars that actually talk a lot about American history. The first is... With God on Our Side by the great Bob Dylan. The song was written by Dylan and was first released by him on his 1964 album, The Times They Are a Changin'. Now, the original version of this song was written and recorded before the Vietnam War ramped up really big. 64, if you recall, was when the Gulf of Tonkin incident happened and LBJ got the Gulf of Tonkin resolution, and that was just the beginning of drastically amping up America's involvement in that war. And it wasn't until a few years later that it was really huge and becoming more and more controversial. So because of that, With God on Our Side doesn't mention Vietnam specifically, although I think in the 80s, Dylan actually added a verse about the Vietnam War to the song though I don't think I've ever listened to a version of the song with that verse added. But anyway, the original is great, and it covers all of American history, basically from the Indian Wars up through World War II, and then also talks about uh, the Cold War. So it's got some just great timeless lines in it. You know, uh, when he's talking in the first verse about the Indian Wars, Dylan says, The cavalry's charged, the Indians died, for the country was young with God on its side. The poetry of this songwriting, as so much of Dylan, especially early Dylan, it's just dumbfounding to think that someone could write lyrics that are this poetic and brilliant and timeless. And he talks about the First World War, and then World War II, how the Germans really quickly became Team America's friends after the war was over, to be their friends against the Russians. And it says... We forgave the Germans, and now we are friends. Though they murdered six million in the ovens they fried, the Germans now, too, have God on their side. And the song is just brilliant when it uses this constant reference at the end of each verse to God on your side. He talks about the weapons of mass destruction that had been developed in the early Cold War and how they could destroy the whole world. And then at the very end of the song, it ends with the line, If God's on our side, he'll stop the next war. 
Anyway, typical Bob Dylan, especially from that era, just absolutely brilliant and poetic. And while I couldn't possibly rank these 25 songs in any sort of an ordinate sense, I would have to say that for sure, With God on Our Side is in my top two or three out of this whole list. The next one I want to mention that's from a similar time period and actually has a lot of similarities to it, although it's not a song I think is quite as poetic and brilliant as, and, and as haunting as With God on Our Side, is the song I Ain't Marching Anymore by the folk singer Phil Oakes. This song was written by Oakes, who only lived from 1940 to 1976 when he died of uh, suicide after a long period of battling with substance and psychological issues. But he was a brilliant singer-songwriter in kind of the folk genre. And this song was first released by Oakes on his 1965 album of the same title, I Ain't Marching Anymore. And like with God on Our Side... This song talks about a lot of wars and battles in American history. It it actually begins talking about the Battle of New Orleans during the War of 1812. And then after that, he talks about the Indian conflicts, mentions Little Bighorn. He talks about the Mexican War of the 1840s, the Civil War, and so on. And then eventually makes it to talking about dropping the A-bomb on the Japanese during World War II. And towards the end of the song, he talks about the growing military-industrial-corporate complex that was becoming even more dominant than it used to be during the early years of the Cold War. And Oakes says, Now the labor leaders screaming when they close the missile plants, talking about how the kind of left-wing working-class movement has been co-opted for the Cold War, and then says, United Fruit screams at the Cuban shore. Call it peace or call it treason. Call it love or call it reason. But I ain't marching anymore. So another great song in the kind of folk protest song genre from the mid-60s. My next batch of songs are about the U.S. Civil War. And the first one I want to mention is by Scott Miller, who is a singer-songwriter and also sometimes an alt-country guy as well. He does some more kind of stripped-down acoustic stuff, and then he also does some stuff that's more rock-tinged with a full band. And this is a song that normally, when you hear him play it, at least every time I've heard him play it, including on YouTube videos, it's usually a very stripped-down acoustic performance, usually just him and an acoustic guitar, singing and playing acoustic guitar. And this song, The Rain, was written by Scott Miller, first released way back on his live record, Are You With Me, in 2000. And it tells a very experiential, first-hand account of a Civil War soldier's experience with battle in the rain on the road to Spotsylvania, as the song says. And the song seems to me to be about some nasty fighting that took place fairly late in the Civil War during the Battle of Spotsylvania, right after some rain had come through in a place that became known as the Bloody Angle. By the way, if you want another great Scott Miller song, about the Civil War, check out a song called Highland County Boy. But this song, The Rain, it talks about how this unit of Civil War soldiers, and it never specifies, I don't think, which side they are, Union or Confederate. They're on the road to Spotsylvania. That's the first line of the song, on the road to Spotsylvania. And then the rain comes in, and it seems like a good thing, because it means there's going to be a pause in the fighting for the rain. But there's a warning, and so... The chorus says, And the rain, it should bring life, boys. Or at least a brief respite. You can rest and wait for night, boys. But keep your powder dry. Or the rain will take your life. And it's a very haunting, kind of minor key, acoustic guitar song. And as with all these other songs, by the way, I'm going to have in the show notes for this episode a link for every song that I've mentioned here. And the link is going to take you to YouTube, and it's going to take you to my favorite version of whatever song it is, that at least that's available on YouTube. And so all of these, you'll be able to go right down the list of the show notes, and any of these songs that you're not familiar with, just click on it and then hear it on YouTube. Anyway, the song continues talking about, after the rain comes through, they're attacked and it turns into nasty, close-quarters fighting, and the soldier finds that his musket won't work because he did not keep his powder dry. And the last verse, I think, does a great job of describing just the, the brutality 
and the dehumanization and the misery that happens in battle. The last few lines of the last verse of the song says, Some threw rocks and cursed the devil while they waited there to die. Me, I pissed myself and cried. So it's a very sad and haunting and brutally honest attempt to describe a first-person account of what one of these nasty battles of the Civil War was like. Next one is Lone Pine Hill by Justin Towns Earl, who is the son of the famous, fairly famous kind of pioneer of alternative country, Steve Earl. And as far as I know, this song was written by Justin. I think he generally writes his own songs. That's kind of part of his thing. And the song was first released on his 2008 album, The Good Life. And the song is generally about a young man who comes from a coal region of Appalachia in the South. And a lot of it's really about the destruction of that environment by the coal companies coming in and just, you know, carrying out that particularly nasty form of mining they often did in that part of the country. But there's an interesting couple of verses where the narrator of the song is talking about his service in the Army of Virginia. So there's a verse that says, I signed up back in 61. I'm an Army of Virginia man. I've been from Manassas to McConaughey, all the way to Sailor's Creek fighting for my homeland. And then a few verses later, the last verse of the song says, So God grant me speed and grant me forgiveness and carry me on through the night. Take me through the hills and over your rivers away from this awful fight. Because I ain't never known a man that's ever owned another and ain't never owned nothing of my own. And after four long years, I just can't tell you what the hell I've been fighting for. And like the rain, it is a haunting minor key acoustic guitar song that I think also is just acoustic guitar and then singing and that's it. And that last verse that I read to you, I think is really brilliant because it reminds us that not only were most white Southerners not slave owners or from slave-owning families, but if anything, the percentage of non-slave owners was even higher in the Confederate Army because, as with most modern armies, it disproportionately in its ranks had men of lower-class status. So, in other words, the percentage of guys who were not slave owners would have been even a bit higher in the Confederate Army than amongst Southerners as a whole. The last song I want to mention that deals specifically with the American Civil War is a song called The River Runs Red by a bluegrass band called The Steel Drivers. And this song, as far as I know, was first released on their 2015 album, The Muscle Shoals Recordings. This song is about a battle that took place at the end of 1862, beginning of 1863 in Tennessee called the Battle of Stones River which I admit is a battle I don't know hardly much about at all in detail. But the song is a very well-written and eloquent song. It's very poetic, and it plays up a lot the fact that the two sides had so much in common, and then what they end up having in common more than anything else is that they're lying dead. There's a verse that says, Now Rogers was from Alabama, and Thomas, an old New York town. But soon they would die like blood brothers in the stream where their souls would flow down. And the chorus of the song says, The river runs red, the river runs red. No winners or losers when you count the dead. We watch it roll by, we all bow our heads. The guns have gone silent, but the river runs red. And this is a song that's a little bit more bluegrassy than the previous ones I mentioned about the Civil War, but it's not an up-tempo bluegrass song. It's a bit of a slower-paced bluegrass song, and again, it's a very sad, haunting sort of a song. So those are the anti-war songs I wanted to mention that are specifically dealing with the American Civil War. And by the way, I just want to say as an aside here, I'm not saying necessarily that in every case the people who wrote and or performed these songs may have always seen these as anti-war songs. I think in most cases they probably did. But in other cases, I'm not even so sure that these were intended to be anti-war songs as much as they were just intended to be poetic and artistically valuable songs that dealt with the whole idea of war. And to me, if you're dealing with war in an intellectually honest sense and you have any amount of empathy for your fellow human beings, it's going to end up being anti-war. 
whether you intend it to consciously or not, whether you even realize it's being anti-war or not. Just like pictures and footage that show what war really looks like is often censored by the government because it might make people turn against the war. All you have to do is depict war honestly. And most decent people who aren't psychopaths or sociopaths or some other kind of abnormal, damaged sort of a person are going to not really be enticed by it. Not when they see what it really is. They can be enticed by it when they show sanitized versions that play down the core. And this is something I've really been digging into a lot in recent weeks in research for my Not-So-Civil War series. And in particular, there's an excellent book I'm in the middle of right now called Upon the Altar of the Nation. I believe the author's name is Harry Stout. And this book really delves into the whole idea of how the Civil War was sold to both sides as a pure good and evil moral crusade, and how this then enabled the war to become a total war. And it prevented people from asking questions about what's justified and not justified in in my cause. Anyway, the next batch of songs I want to mention deal with World War I. And the first one I'll mention is a song I've mentioned on this show probably at least a couple of times previously, and that is the song Christmas in the Trenches by John McCutcheon. It was written by him and first released on his album Winter Solstice in 1984. And it tells the story of a young man who I believe is fictional, but is an amalgam of some real people named Francis Tolliver from Liverpool, England, who goes off to World War I and then experiences the whole Christmas truce episode, which I did an episode on almost exactly a year ago, the Christmas truce, and I'll link to that in the show notes for this episode. But anyway, this was an episode that happened on the Western Front in the Christmas of 1914, where the rank-and-file troops of the British, French, and Germans kind of spontaneously, without and against implied orders, put down their rifles and had a Christmas truce and went and played soccer and palled with each other and so on. And it really just illustrates the insanity of the whole thing and how the grunts on the two sides have more in common with each other than they have with the military and political leadership that's back behind the lines. And the song is particularly haunting, I think, when it talks about how after the truce, it became more and more difficult to want to kill the guys on the other side. McCutcheon says about the two sides when they were getting ready to stop the truce. Soon daylight stole upon us and France was France once more. With sad farewells, we each began to settle back to war. But the question haunted every heart that lived that wondrous night. Whose family have I fixed within my sights? And the very last verse of the song says, My name is Francis Tolliver, in Liverpool I dwell. Each Christmas come since World War I, I've learned its lessons well. That the ones who call the shots won't be among the dead and lame. And on each end of the rifle, we're the same. Just a beautiful and brilliant song. And the same is also true of the next one I want to mention, which is sometimes known by different titles, and I don't know which one is the correct official title. It's sometimes called Greenfields of France. I think that's the most common. It's also sometimes, though, called No Man's Land and sometimes also called Willie McBride. But it was written by a Scottish-born Australian singer-songwriter named Eric Bogle in 1976, and I'm not exactly sure what album it was first released on, and it's been covered by a lot of people over the years. My favorite version is actually by the Irish-American punk band Dropkick Murphys, so that's the version I'll, I'll link to in the show notes. But it tells the story, and I don't recall if this is a fictionalized character or a real guy, of a young man named Willie McBride who died in the war, actually died in the Battle of the Somme in 1916. And it just goes into heart-wrenching detail about this guy, as the narrator of the song tries to understand who Willie McBride was and what he might have left behind. So, for example, it asks a lot of questions of Willie McBride, says things like, Did you leave a wife or a sweetheart behind? In some faithful heart is your memory enshrined. Although you died back in 1916, in that faithful heart, you're forever 19. Or are you a stranger without even a name, enclosed forever behind a glass frame, in an old photograph torn, battered, and stained, and faded to yellow in a brown leather frame? And the song turns more kind of bitter and subversive as it goes on. 
And so the last verse of the song says, Now, Willie McBride, I can't help wonder why. Do those who lie here know why they died? Did they believe it when they answered the call? Did they really believe that this war would end wars? So really just picking at all of the the hype, the idealism, the patriotism, the propaganda, and so on that's always spoon-fed to the population. And then it's never for what they say it was for, and it never accomplishes what they say it's going to accomplish. And the last song I want to mention that specifically ties into World War I is the heavy metal song One by the band Metallica. And this is one of those Metallica songs that I really like that starts off kind of quiet and fairly slow and then sort of builds and then eventually has a big crescendo towards the end. It was written by Lars Ulrich and James Hetfield and first released on their album Injustice for All. I think it was 88 or 89 that that came out. And the song was inspired by Dalton Trumbo's anti-war novel, Johnny Got His Gun, and by the movie based on it. And the song was a big hit, and the music video made of it was very successful as well. It was back in the days when MTV still played music videos. And the music video for this song had some clips and images from the movie Johnny Got His Gun included in it. The song won, and the story that inspired it are about a young man who goes off to World War I and then gets pretty much everything blown off. I mean, limbs, face, everything, and is just sort of a surviving head and torso who's suffering and really just wishes he could die. And all that he went through, he's now become obviously very bitter and angry about everything. And it's a powerful book if you've not read Johnny Got His Gun. So anyway, that's my last anti-war song dealing with World War One, and then there's World War Two. Which World War Two? There's not nearly as many anti-war songs about it as about World War One, because of course, World War Two is supposed to be the good war that no one's supposed to question anything about it, and all of that. But that said, there are still some good anti-war songs out there about World War Two, and I want to mention just two that I particularly like. The first is the song "Goodbye Blue Sky." by Pink Floyd, which is a fairly short, simple, kind of haunting tune that's mostly acoustic guitar. It sounds like a nylon string, at least at parts. It was written by Roger Waters and first released on Pink Floyd's epic album and movie, The Wall, in 1979. And it's the song that starts with the little kids saying, look, mommy, there's an airplane up in the sky. And then it starts playing this kind of pretty nylon string acoustic guitar riff, and it starts to get kind of dark and haunting, though, as it goes along. And it's a simple little song. There's really not even that many lyrics to it. It's, I think, only a couple minutes long. But to me, at least, it was one of those songs from The Wall that haunted me almost more than any other. There are probably only a couple other songs on The Wall that really stuck with me as much as that when I first heard it. And the little music video thing on the film of The Wall that accompanies this song is really kind of haunting cartoon imagery. So I'll make sure in the show notes that I link to not just the audio of the song, but to a clip on YouTube that shows you as well the images from the movie The Wall that go along with it. Roger Waters, if I recall correctly, his father had died in World War II, and he always kind of had a lot of anger and resentment at the war for taking his dad. The second song I want to mention that ties into World War II is the song The War by the alt-country band Lucero, and it's written by the band's singer Ben Nichols, and the song was on the band's album Nobody's Darlings. Now, that studio album version, I believe, is acoustic, and it's fine, but the one I really, really like the most is a live, plugged-in version of the song, which was released on the band's album Live at Cat's Cradle which I think actually came out before the studio album Nobody's Darlings. It's an interesting cut of the song. It's just singing and guitar, and that's it. I think the rest of the band doesn't play on it. But rather than an acoustic guitar, which at a concert, usually when the singer's like, all right, I'm going to do one just by myself, it's usually the singer playing an acoustic guitar. But in this case, he's playing plugged-in, distorted, amped-up guitar, but it's just him singing and playing guitar. So anyway, that's the version I'm going to link to in the show notes, the version from Live at Cat's Cradle. And from what I've read, the song was written by Nichols about his grandfather, who was a veteran of World War II. And like many 
veterans of World War II, he did not have a pleasant, wonderful experience that made him a better person for the rest of his life, but in fact had a miserable experience that caused him a lot of pain and psychological distress. And that's an element of World War II we don't hear as much from. The veterans who had horrible, traumatic experiences, who were scarred for the rest of their life by the things they saw and the things they did. But my own grandfather, for one, on my mother's side, suffered for the rest of his life from what he experienced in World War II. As did a much more famous guy, Paul Fussell, who became a top scholar of World War I. He, right on up to the day he died, which wasn't that many years ago, was pretty bitter and emotional about the traumas he went through as an infantry officer in Western Europe in World War II. But anyway, the song The War by Lucero talks about this guy getting drafted at age 19 and going through basic training and then getting shipped off to Europe. And it goes through all the stresses and traumas that he goes through. And the chorus of the song is... The preacher said, boys, he who is killed tonight will dine with the Lord in paradise. One boy spoke up, said, preacher, come on, eat your supper with us. So I guess a reference to a chaplain who's trying to keep morale up, but it's obviously not working on everybody. The song goes on to talk about the narrator fighting in France and Belgium and becoming more and more bitter and traumatized by the things he's doing and turning to booze, among other things. He talks about making the rank of sergeant and then doing his best to get demoted as quickly as possible because he doesn't want to have the responsibility on his conscience for getting his, the men under his command killed. So Ben Nichols writes, Three times I made sergeant. I'm not that kind of man. And pretty much, just as quick as I could, I get busted back to private again. Because taking orders never suited me. Giving them out was much worse. I could not stand to get my friends killed, so I took care of myself first. So really displaying and showing the bitterness that so many felt, not just in that war, but in other wars, about the horrors and the traumas and the dehumanizing experiences that they have to go through. So yes, even when it comes to the good war, World War II, you can find a few anti-war songs out there. Next, I've got a bunch to share related to the Vietnam War, which would be no surprise to most of you listening, I think. Obviously, the fact that that war, which was very controversial at the time, coincided with the kind of rise of the counterculture and the hippie movement and psychedelic rock and everything. Naturally, it produced a lot of enduring anti-war songs. And so this was probably the toughest category to narrow it down out of all these. But I whittled it down to just five. And in fact, a couple of them are not from the late 60s, early 70s time period, believe it or not. The first one I want to mention, though, was from just the heart of it. And it's probably one of the first songs that many of you think of when I say Vietnam-era anti-war rock songs. And that's the song Fortunate Son by the awesome band Creedence Clearwater Revival. No Vietnam movie is quite right if it doesn't have this song in there somewhere, preferably during a scene where a bunch of conscripts are flying out on Hueys on an air cab operation or something along those lines. The song was written by the great John Fogarty, who was the real genius of that band, and this is proven by how good his solo stuff has been. It's been, in my opinion, right up there with the stuff he did with Credence in terms of quality. And this song, Fortunate Son, was first released in 1969 on the album Willie and the Poor Boys. Fogarty has said in interviews that he was primarily inspired to write the song by kind of the general feeling of opposition to the Vietnam War and also the draft. But then specifically what kind of triggered him, he said, was the wedding of Eisenhower's grandson to Richard Nixon's daughter which I think happened sometime in 1968, and that he kind of just got this feeling of disgust with the establishment, and he decided to write a song that would be a middle finger both to the establishment itself and to the war specifically. He claims he wrote this song in about 20 minutes, which might seem ridiculous, but on the other hand, I will take his word for it, because when the muse strikes, the muse strikes. And so the song starts with the immortal lines, Some folks are born made to wave the flag. Ooh, they're red, white, and blue. And when the band plays hail to the chief, ooh, they point the cannon at you. 
And then the chorus says, it ain't me, it ain't me. I ain't no senator's son. It ain't me, it ain't me. I ain't no fortunate one. And it talks about the plutocrats having all this wealth and then working the system to avoid taxes. And it talks about how these are the same people that are playing the system to benefit from wars, which the kind of average person doesn't really benefit from and just ends up paying for both in money and in blood. And it's just a great driving rock and song with some awesome, simple guitar riffs. Classic Fogarty, he's a master, in my opinion, of writing guitar riffs that are so simple, but so perfect. It's like the person who knows how to speak with an economy of words where everything is precise and concise. That's how I would describe Fogarty's guitar style. But anyway, just a great, great song. Probably my favorite anti-war song that's actually from that era, late 60s, early 70s. The next song I want to mention that's tied into the Vietnam War is the song Big Time in the Jungle by the kind of Americana, bluegrass, folky, acoustic band Old Crow Medicine Show. The song was written by Critter Fuqua, which is... I think the singer and guitar player for the band. And it was first released on their 2004 self-titled album. And it tells the story of a young man who's from Alabama who in 1965 gets drafted. And he's this simple country boy who goes over there and is told he's got to fight and maybe die for things that he doesn't even really understand. The first chorus says, there's going to be a big time in the jungle, going to be a firefight, going to be a rumble. Send me out to Vietnam. I'll fight ten men. I got nothing left in the States for me. I want to see the world, you see. I know that Uncle Sam needs me to fight for an ideal I know nothing about. And it goes through all the tough experiences he has when he gets there. And his first experience in battle, it says, Then the bombs started falling and they pounded his brain. And he thought about Utah. He was from a town in Alabama called Utah. It's not spelled like the state Utah, by the way. It's E-U-T-A-W. And he thought about Utah and who was to blame for sending him to Vietnam. So it's a fun kind of bluegrassy, newgrassy, alt-country sort of a song. And what I like about a lot of these alt-country and Americana-type bands is they'll do anti-war songs that mainstream country would never do. Mainstream country is just either talking about dumb nonsense, like, oh, big trucks and isn't watching NASCAR and drinking RC Cola great, or if they do get into politics, it's kind of dumbass nationalism with no nuance to it. It's, we'll put a boot in your ass, it's the American way. But where you actually get some intelligent three-dimensional portrayals of things like war is in the alt-country sort of realm. So if you like the kind of musical stylings of old-school country in particular but you don't like at all what modern mainstream country is, I would say go look some of this stuff up if you're not familiar with it. The next song I want to mention is one that came out during the heyday of grunge in my childhood in the early 90s, and it's the song Rooster by the grunge band Alice in Chains. It was written by the band's guitarist, Jerry Cantrell. I think it was about his father, who was a Vietnam vet, and was first released on the band's 1992 album, Dirt. And it's just about the hardships that this guy goes through and all the pain he goes through and the grunge stylings of Cantrell's guitar riffs and Lane Staley's crazy singing. It really just fits with the message the song is trying to get across. It's definitely my favorite Alice in Chains song. It was a song that I didn't quite realize what it was about at first. Probably it had been around and I'd been listening to it for a couple years before I realized, oh, he's talking about Vietnam. But I just got this sense that this song is about a guy who has gone through and is going through hell. And it really just depicts that stark reality and, and the brutality of the situation. When I first heard it, all I knew was it had a cool chorus that said, yeah, they come to snuff the rooster. No, he ain't going to die. And for some reason... You know, young me, 11, 12 years old, whatever I was, was like, that just sounds really cool. The next song I want to mention that ties into Vietnam is the song War by Edwin Starr. The song was actually written by producer Norman Whitfield, 
And he initially recorded a version of it with the Temptations singing it, but he decided to withhold that version. He thought the song wouldn't really fit with the Temptations and the following that they had. And so instead, he made another one with Edwin Starr doing the vocals. And that's the one that everyone knows. You know the song. War, huh, good God, y'all. That's the song. It is a classic. It immediately evokes the feel of that late 60s, early 70s era in which you not only had the anti-war movement, you had the Black Radical movement, the Black Panthers and those sorts of groups, basically the two groups that Nixon targeted with the war on drugs, Black Power groups and anti-war groups. And it has that feel. It's got that combination of kind of funk and soul and rock that was just so cool in that era. The song was first released as a single in 1970 and became a hit, and it has since then been in way too many film soundtracks to list here. But I think there's no way it couldn't be on a list like this. And the last song I want to mention in connection to the Vietnam War is The Star-Spangled Banner, of course, the version by Jimi Hendrix. Early in the morning on Monday, the 18th of August, 1969, at the very, very end of the famous Woodstock Music Festival, after the majority of the attendees had already left, Jimi Hendrix took the stage, and as part of his set, he performed a solo instrumental version of Team America's National Anthem. And in addition to guitar virtuosity, this version featured all kinds of wild feedback and sound effects that sounded like machine guns and dive bombers and all this sort of thing worked into the song. And at the time and ever since, it has generally been being interpreted as being anti-war, especially anti-Vietnam war. But Hendrix actually made some ambiguous comments some months after in an interview that made it sound like he may not have really been intending that when he played it. But regardless whether he intended that or not, it, it just fit with kind of the atmosphere and the zeitgeist of the era to take this rousing patriotic anthem and kind of do almost a deconstructionist version of it that literally in the middle of it sounds like a war. So anyway, those are my Vietnam-related anti-war song picks. The next few I filed under, for lack of a better category, anti-Cold War slash anti-nuclear war. And really only two out of three of them are, are about the Cold War at all, but they're all kind of about the idea of potential global annihilation and nuclear war. And the first one is Hammer to Fall by the rock band Queen. This song was written by the band's guitarist Brian May, who's an absolutely excellent guitar player, and was first released on the band's 1984 album The Works. Brian May has said that he primarily wrote the song kind of about how death hangs over everyone, but there are several lines in it that clearly refer to the Cold War in the lyrics, and those have caused many people, including myself, to really think of the song more as being an anti-Cold War, anti-arms race type of a song. But it's just a rousing kind of anthemic rock song with some great guitar riffs in it. And the lines that call to mind the Cold War most clearly are... And I think it's the, the second to last verse of the song. It says, We who grew up tall and proud, in the shadow of the mushroom cloud, convinced our voices can't be heard. We just want to scream it louder and louder and louder. What the hell we fighting for? Just surrender and it won't hurt at all. Just got time to say your prayers while you're waiting for the hammer to fall. So anyway, great rousing anthemic rock song with some great imagery there about the craziness of kind of the arms race and the potential for nuclear war. The next one I want to mention is the song Eve of Destruction, which is perhaps most famous for the version recorded by Barry McGuire. This is a classic 60s anti-war protest song. It is much less ambiguous and much more explicit than Hammer to Fall. And it was written by P.F. Sloan in 1964 and became famous in a version, like I said, that was recorded by Barry McGuire that was released in 65. The song, when it came out, it's very explicit in its anti-war message, and it was quite controversial and was actually banned by some stations in the U.S. and U.K. And just a wonderful, great, angry 60s protest anti-war song. My favorite version of this song is a punk rock cover of it by a band called DOA, and that's the version that I'll link to in the show notes for this episode. I think it just translates perhaps surprisingly well for what was initially an acoustic folk protest song into a driving punk rock song. 
Speaking of punk rock, the last song I want to mention in this group is the song Tell Me Why by the band Three Bad Jacks, who are kind of a punk rock band with a bit of a rockabilly flavor in, I think they're from Los Angeles. So they're kind of among that crowd of like social distortion and some of those other Southern California punk bands who do catchy melodic punk rock songs, but also work in some rockabilly elements every now and then. So this song is from the band's 2006 album Crazy in the Head, and it's a great up-tempo punk rock song that's got an almost sing-song melody to it at times. And it just talks about the insanity of things like nuclear war and the crazy ulterior motives of the powers that be who are behind pushing these sorts of policies. Next, I want to mention a few songs about recent conflicts, kind of in the 90s and since then. And the first one I want to mention in that regard is a song called Another Man's Cause by the British folk punk band The Levelers. This song was written by the band and first released on their 1991 album Leveling the Land. And there are references in it clearly to the Falklands War of the 1980s, and also they seem to be talking about the first Gulf War desert storm as well. And it talks about the the pain and horror of the loss of war, people losing family members and that sort of thing. The chorus says, Your daddy when he died in the Falklands, fighting for another man's cause, and your brother he was killed in the last war. Now your mother's lying at home alone. And again, like so many of these songs I've mentioned, it really plays on this theme that Smedley Butler talked about a lot in his anti-war activism years of the common people paying the price and bearing the burden in a war that's really not their war at all. Rich man's war, poor man's fight. The next song I want to mention is the song Home to Houston by Steve Earle, which, in my opinion, is one of the best songs to talk about the second Iraq war that's come out so far. It was written by the great alternative country pioneer Steve Earle and released on his 2004 album, The Revolution Starts Now. And it's a very interesting and creative take on this thing. It's a bit different from most anti-war songs. It's actually about a truck driver from America who's now driving trucks for the U.S. military in Iraq and all the dangers he's dealing with and the regrets he's having that he ever went. So it's a great twist that kind of melds together the country tradition of truck driving songs on the one hand, and the sort of folky tradition of anti-war songs on the other. The song, in its musical stylings and riffs and everything, it's got a great old-school sun rockabilly sound and feel to it that I really like, and it's one of my favorite Steve Earle tracks of all time. And that's saying something, because I'm a pretty big Steve Earle fan. But anyway, this song talks about this guy driving a cargo truck full of gasoline out of Basra in Iraq and all of the threats he's facing and that he's fearing for his life. And it ends with the lines in the first verse, I said, God, get me back home to Houston alive and I won't drive a truck anymore. He talks about how he came basically because the money for doing this job, he must be like a contractor driving cargo around or something. The money for the job was really good, so he came, but now he's realizing he might have to pay for it with his life. And so it's just a brilliant song. It sounds like this simple, old-school country-slash-rockabilly song, and then you listen to it, and you're like, oh, he's talking about stuff that's happening now. And then the last song I want to mention that talks about recent wars is the song Southeastern Sun by another great kind of alternative country act I've become a big fan of in recent years, Turnpike Troubadours. The song is from their 2012 album, Goodbye Normal Street, and again, it's called Southeastern Sun. And the song basically talks about the poverty draft, how a young man is lured into the National Guard by a combination of patriotism and job opportunities, and then finds himself in Afghanistan. And the song shows a lot of sympathy and empathy for these working-class guys from middle America who get funneled into the military one way or another. I think the band is from Oklahoma or someplace like that, so I'm sure they knew plenty of people who followed the path they describe in this song. And for myself, I teach at a small college in a small town in a fairly rural part of North Florida, and I have a lot of people coming through my classes who if they're the typical 18, 19-year-old student, are probably going to follow that path. And then I also have somewhat older students coming through who are veterans coming to college. And when you talk to them, that's what you get. You get a combination of 
they were raised in very nationalistic households mixed with, well, I don't really have any other opportunities for job or education or whatever. And, you know, most of my male relatives have done this. And it's a way that you can get some education and get four square, four square meals and a paycheck and some benefits and whatever. But then when I talk to not every veteran, but a lot of the veterans who come through my class, they have at least some degree of kind of regret and bitterness and disillusionment and so on, where they kind of, if they could do it over again, certainly not all of them would do it differently, but I get the feeling sometimes explicitly, sometimes implicitly that many of them would do it differently if they could do it over. And now I just want to close by mentioning a few songs that are just kind of anti-war overall. And the first one I want to mention in that regard is the song War Pigs by those heavy metal pioneers Black Sabbath. This song was first released on Sabbath's 1970 album Paranoid, on which it is actually the opening track. And it's got to be one of Sabbath's best known and most enduring songs ever. Perhaps only Iron Man and Paranoid rank above it in that regard. But I think this is definitely at least third place behind those two. And personally, out of all those songs, it's my favorite. It's a very brilliantly written song. It's got some great riffs in it and all that stuff, as so many Sabbath tunes do. But it's brilliant also in the way it uses these aggressive heavy metal stylings, and it talks about politicians and generals, and basically the military-industrial complex, as being satanic and evil. And it uses all this imagery that's usually used in heavy metal music in an almost campy way to literally refer to, like, Satan or whatever. And in this song, it uses a lot of that imagery about real world evil rather than about mythical evil. So the first two lines of the song, I think, give you a flavor of it. Generals gathered in their masses, just like witches at black masses. And the song goes on from there. It talks about people being used as pawns. It talks about the politicians are never anywhere near the battle. And instead, they have the poor act as their pawns, as their cannon fodder. And the song closes with the idea that God's wrath might eventually come down on these warmongers for all of the destruction that they've done. Next song is from the same year, but couldn't be more different in terms of styling. We go from a dark, heavy metal sort of a song to a song that's almost folky in a lot of ways. And that's the song Lucky Man by Emerson, Lake, and Palmer. The song was first released on ELP's self-titled album in 1970, and supposedly the brilliant Greg Lake wrote the song when he was only 12 years old, using a combination of the first four chords he ever learned to play on guitar. The song features a Moog synthesizer solo, at least the original studio version of the song, which was added by Keith Emerson, which I kind of like. It's kind of cool for sure, but which also, I suppose, to some modern ears might make the song sound kind of dated and cheesy. And in the show notes, I'll link to a live version of Greg Lake doing the song solo with just an acoustic guitar, which I think is a really good stripped down kind of soulful uh, version of the song. But the song talks about a young man who's wealthy and he's got all these lady friends and lives in this luxurious lifestyle and it says "Ooh, what a lucky man he was as the chorus but then he goes to fight he goes to fight for king and country and people are going to talk about how glorious he is but then he goes off to war and gets killed and all of his luxury and wealth and privilege don't save him. Now, this song, it doesn't specifically say anywhere what war he's talking about. It seems to be kind of a World War I-ish song in a lot of ways. World War I is where, in a lot of cases, the English aristocracy bit the dust, at least a lot of them. Because in the UK, unlike in America, at least for a lot of their history, they have had a tradition of the elites or the children of the elites do go to war and do actually serve in the wars that they decide to have, which is very different from the American tradition. And in World War I in particular, a lot of the English aristocracy was killed. So I get the sense that whether consciously or unconsciously, that's kind of what was animating Greg Lake's thinking about this song, even at the tender age of 12. But by the end, when it's talking about the, the protagonist of the story lying there dying, then it gets to, ooh, what a lucky man he was in the chorus, and it's obviously meant ironically at that point. So, 
Brilliant, brilliant song in my opinion. I like a lot of Greg Lake songs. The next song I want to mention is What's Left of the Flag by the Irish-American punk rock band Flogging Molly. This song was written by the band's lead singer Dave King and was first released on their 2002 album Drunken Lullabies. And it was probably that year or maybe just after it that I was introduced to Flogging Molly by seeing one of their live shows. I didn't know who the hell they were. And I was, I think, at Warp Tour. And I happened to catch Flogging Molly's set at Warp Tour. And it was just incredible. And I was immediately hooked. And this was one of the songs I heard in that set that really grabbed me. It's very poetically written, but of course it's performed in this driving combination of punk rock and Irish folk styling. And it just very eloquently talks about all of the pain and destruction that's caused by war and links war to nationalism. The chorus of the song says, Walk away, me boy, walk away, me boy, and by morning we'll be free. Wipe that golden tear from your mother, dear, and raise what's left of the flag for me. Great song. And then the very last song I want to mention in this episode is the song The General by Dispatch. The song was written by the band and released by them on their 1998 album Bang Bang. And that's the version I prefer. It's pretty stripped down. It's acoustic. I've heard other versions of the song that are a lot more busy, with a lot more instruments added, sometimes electric and so on. And they just don't work for me like the original simple version does. The song is a very interesting story. It kind of blends Civil War and Robert E. Lee imagery and words with a few kind of Christ-like ideas melted in there as well. And it talks about a heroic general who gets up in the morning and tells his men that he's had a dream in which he's realized that the war really isn't just, but he's still going to do his duty and go fight by himself, but he tells his men to go home. And some of the verses of the song are, in my opinion, just really eloquent and poetic. It's sort of a folky jam band kind of a song in some ways, and I get the feeling that Dispatch is that kind of a group. I've got to be honest, I'm not that familiar with their other songs. And that's a genre that I'm normally not that much into, but this song really kind of spoke to me. The first time I heard it, I was like, what the hell is that? That's awesome. So anyway, those are my 25 favorite anti-war songs. I hope you've enjoyed listening to this. I hope you found at least a few songs you weren't familiar with before. Again, show notes for this page is going to be hugely helpful because I'll have a link to at least one version of each one of these songs that I've mentioned. It's going to be, again, a link to the song on YouTube, the version of the song that's on YouTube that is the favorite of mine. And again, I realize to some degree this sort of thing is always subjective. I'm sure many of you listening would want to add or replace a whole bunch of my picks with other picks as well, and that's fine. But uh, these are my 25 favorites. And now I will go back to work on the not-so-civil war. Again, look for that to likely come out sometime between Christmas and New Year's. But I'm going to try very hard to get it out prior to the end of 2016. If you liked what you heard in this podcast, there are multiple ways you can help this show continue to exist, to improve, and grow. One is simply to spread the word about the Dangerous History Podcast in any way you can. Social media, online discussion boards, word of mouth, whatever. But to help spread the word to people you think might appreciate it. Also consider leaving a review or a rating in podcast venues such as iTunes or Stitcher. And you can help the show financially several different ways. One of the best is to go to patreon.com slash prophecyj. Patreon, by the way, spelled P-A-T-R-E-O-N. Patreon.com slash P-R-O-F-C-J. Sign up to support the show with a per-episode donation. If you sign up there for at least $1 per episode, and more is certainly appreciated, but for at least $1 per episode, I'll thank you by name in the next show that I record, and you'll have access to special, exclusive, bonus Dangerous History Podcast episodes via Patreon that are available nowhere else. So it's a win-win. You get some extra Dangerous History Podcast, and I get some help in keeping on, keeping on with the show. Also, if you're a supporter of the show on Patreon at a dollar or more per episode, you are eligible to join the private Facebook group entitled Dangerous History Podcast Scholar Warriors. By the way, side note, if your name is different on Patreon from what it is on Facebook, please do contact me if you apply to join the group to let me know who you are on Patreon so that I can verify you're a supporter and then I'll be happy to let you into the group. 
you can go to the show's donate page, profcj.org slash donate, to find other ways to help the show out financially, including PayPal and Bitcoin donations. And of course, you can help the show by purchasing items from Amazon by first going through any of the Amazon affiliate links on my website before you do your shopping. And if you do that and buy anything from Amazon, the Dangerous History Podcast will get a small commission from Amazon at no additional cost to you. One final thing you can do if you want to help out the show is to check out the official Dangerous History Podcast Amazon wish list, where you can order items to help me help the show. And if you do that, I'll thank you by name in the next show that I make after receiving your item. Make sure to check out DangerousHistoryPodcast.com if you haven't already to find the show notes for this and every other DHP episode, which usually include lots of links and things like that. Good stuff. This has been another episode of the Dangerous History Podcast, helping you learn the past so you can understand the present and prepare for the future.